I wish I had known that this too shall pass. Yeah. Mm. You feel bad right now? You feel pissed Ooh. off? You feel angry? Yes, this good. too shall pass. Oh, great. You feel great? You feel like you know all the answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel like that everybody yeah. finally gets you, oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, there you are. Yeah. This, this too, too shall pass. pass. Ooh, good. Time is your ally, mm. and if nothing else, just wait. Just wait. Just oh. wait it out. Ooh. Well, hello. Welcome to the Afterthoughts. I am Chris, and I'm here with my friend Tyree. How are you doing, Tyree? I am doing all right, man. I cannot complain. Another beautiful week. Hey, good. Glad to hear it's a beautiful week. It's uh, overcast and dreary here, but that makes for a good day to stay indoors and, and cook. Exactly. It's, it's a good day for that. Here, however, it's sunny. It stopped raining for once because it's been raining every freaking day this year. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. Happy. Well, good. Happy is a good place to be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, all that rain that you guys get there, then it comes right out our way. So that's – it's left you and it's come up here to Wisconsin. Uh, we needed every bit of it. I think we're almost out of our historical drought, but we'll see. In a couple months, we'll be right back into it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And there'll be somebody out there telling you why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. So on uh, today's episode of the Afterthoughts, um, I, actually, you came up with the topic of uh, what, what What was it, the, 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 the topic exactly? I don't want to misword it. When I think I had suggested that we talk about uh, seminal moments in our lives. Yeah. I was thinking about this for like ever since you you said, "Hey, we should talk about that." I've been thinking about topics just like crazy. How has it been for you? I've been going through kind of a similar process, um, and and like you, I don't want to have my whole life and all the stories that I tell uh, be about my time as a soldier or my time in Iraq. So as I was parsing through things. You know, I've got a handful of of events that I can think of, and most of them are are not in any way related to uh, to my soldiering days. How about you? It's about half and half. Um, the soldiering days, the army days, are a big part of my life, uh, but the rest of my life is also a big part of my life. So I feel you a hundred percent. There are a couple things that happen during my military career that really changed everything for me. And that, but there's so much more, many more other things that were just as impactful. I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, it's just, just as impactful as uh, the crazy army stuff. Yeah. That you mentioned how, you know, some of these things you don't know, know it is at the time, how much of an impact they'll have. And, and at what point, uh, I know for me, you know, thinking about well, when we were deployed to Iraq the, for, well, back in 04, uh, I can remember thinking that some of what we were doing there uh, was going to be meaningful. And that's why I, I did keep it a journal back then. We talked the last time on our show about about journaling and writing things down. And, uh, and I knew way back then that it would be good to write some of this stuff down because I knew it was going to mean something, but I didn't know how much uh, it would mean later on. And so that's, I'm glad I did that. And that, that kind of is a a similar experience that I had with other, other moments in my life, uh, birth of my daughter uh, and death of my father being a couple examples. Um, What do you think, man? What, uh, what other, as you were thinking about today's show, uh, what moments in your life do you think would be uh, worth talking about? Okay. So uh, <clears throat> similar to you, like I think any, any father or parent would have the, the birth of their child. Um, and I'm just kind of fly through them and I'll give examples in a little bit later. Um, my father passing, that was fucking heavy for me. It still is. It only happened three, four years ago. So, you know, that's still rough. 
Um, something that happened in middle school that shaped what I'm doing now. Actually, uh, it's pretty crazy that uh, at first, initially, it was an incredible negative. But just later on that evening, it turned into a crazy positive that I'm still reaping the benefits from. Um, getting married because I didn't think that was going to happen for me. I don't think I even really wanted it to happen necessarily because I was young, but you know, you, you, your mind changes and, uh, you, you figure out different priorities, I guess. Uh, you can't really pick who you fall in love with either. So there you go. Um, and then there's the army stuff. So you want to start it? Do you want me to start? Oh, uh, no, I, you know, you and I, we, we both mentioned, um, how our fathers, uh, have died. You mentioned your dad passed away, uh, just a few years ago. And, uh, this year, this year in December will make 10 years, uh, since my father passed away. And I know for me, I was, I was there at my father's bedside in a hospital room and I had some other siblings there and, and my mother there. And so, when he passed away, um, it was, well, it was, it was hard and it was, um, it was, it was difficult. Uh, I'm glad that I was there in the last moment with him. I'm, I'm glad that he, he called me over and I got to hold his hand as he, as he died. Um, now one thing that, you know, after, after he, he, he died and, and he was buried. And as I was carrying on with my life, I kind of got to thinking that as we grow and mature, I'm, I'm not sure that a man gets to really be a, his most like a man, if you will, until after he's, he's lost his father. And, and then you, you don't have that other, uh, that support anymore. And I don't know if, if you ever had any similar thoughts after the passing of your dad, uh, what was, what was that like for you after, after he was gone? Oh man, it's spiraled out of control. Everything for me personally, uh, I'm going to cry this whole fucking show. Um, so my father passed from cancer and it was, it wasn't sudden. He was getting progressively more sick, but we didn't know that it was cancer. It was, uh, he had a stroke a couple years prior, but he's losing weight. And looking back at it now, of course it was cancer. It had to have been. Why didn't anybody pick up on that? His mother passed from cancer. Like Jesus, we should have fucking picked up on it. But, uh, he goes to the hospital and uh, it's Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles or Beverly Hills, whatever. And uh, just seeing him sit there in the bed, our whole family was there. And I don't know why, but, and I regret it to this day. I told everyone to leave. Uh, I told them no one's going to watch him die. And uh, that was it. We Everyone went home. Um, a few days later, uh, he passed and we weren't there. They, the, the nurse called and said, Hey, we think it's time. Um, if you can get down here in time, you can say goodbye. And in my head, I'd already said goodbye. He wasn't there. You know, it was just, uh, a body. There's no soul to it. He wasn't conscious. Um, so I said, no, we're going to stay here. We all said our goodbyes. And a couple hours later, they called back and said he passed. And immediately I felt like, fuck, I let him down because I should have at least, you know, been there. But I didn't want the rest of my family to have that, the last thought of him in that situation. Like I was trying to be the, the, big man of the house and try to take care of things before it was really time. And just a couple of days later, fucking on Thanksgiving day, it was time. And 
for a minute, I kind of spiral, man. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything crazy, but it was just fucking depression. Like, unbearable depression. It was heavy, man. And, uh, but therapy and all that kind of shit to help me out out of it. But it's still there. You can tell, like, clearly I can't even fucking talk about it without falling to pieces. But that's that, you know? Thanks for sharing that with me and with, with everyone listening. Uh, I, I never knew your father. Uh, I do know the pain that comes with losing a father. Uh, my, it was December uh, when my father passed away just before uh, Christmas. And I can remember that for, for weeks after his passing, I could be going through my day just I could be holding my daughter who was an infant. I could just be standing there. And all of a sudden I would just be tackled with this emotional wave. I would just feel nothing but the intense loss of my father. And I would just, I just weeped. You know, I wept openly. I would just, I would take a minute or two and I would just stop in my tracks and I would cry, man. And so I, I know, I know it's tough. So, lose your dad. And I know it's tough to talk about it. And, and I, thanks a lot, Tyree, for sharing that with us, man. Thanks for sharing, uh, what you're telling us right now. Like my, my father is actually my stepfather. My real dad is in New York. Uh, I have no issues with him. I just don't know him. Uh, and I don't think I'll ever have any issues with someone. I don't know. So, but my, my stepdad, Leon, Brown was everything for my family and uh, still to this day it's not easy but we try to manage it sounds like you were well, you were sharing that the regret uh, that you felt with not being there physically at his side uh, when he passed it sounded to me like you were you were doing that though, because you wanted to protect your family and protect the memory that they had of your, of your stepfather, of your father there. And and I think, you know, that in and of itself, it's commendable. We can all, we can all feel regret over all kinds of things, but I hope, you know, I think it sounds like you are, you are doing all the right things by looking up after your family, the way you were. I was trying, man, but a part of me says, man, I shouldn't have even taken that uh, choice from them. Like, if they wanted to be there, they should have had the opportunity or, or the uh, option to. But I took that away. And in my own selfishness, I feel really bad for that. Well, good. <laughs> I don't mean to, to – I think that's good. It, it, the introspection is good. It's good that you, you're not myopic. You don't have one – set point of view that is so narrow it it fails to take into account other people's needs and considerations and 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 what they deserve so i think i think it's good to perform that internal after action review and and think about what you did that was good and what, what you want to keep doing in the future because lord knows we're gonna have more people we love in our lives that that die it's inevitable and it's good then to to know that as we as we go through life and if we want to love and care for people sometimes in our haste to, to do that and to care for them and protect them, we can, we can hurt them, um, by mistake. Uh, and, and it's good that we, we look at these things because we don't want to hurt people, man. At least I don't want to go around hurting people anymore. How about you? Same man. You, uh, you live and you learn. And like I said, I just want to make sure I don't, take anyone's choice anyone's free will from them over something like that even though it's fucking dark but yeah so let's go to something more upbeat and then we're just gonna go right back down i'm sure at some point uh perhaps we will what what about the babies everyone loves babies babies are 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 new lives and they're the future and uh why don't you talk about that man you want to talk about when you uh 
when you found out you were going to be a father? Oh man. So that's a cool story. Um, back in 2007, found out that we we're going to, no, no, had to have been the beginning of 2008. My bad. Uh, on the same day that we found out my wife was pregnant, well, my f- fiance at the time was pregnant. Uh, I got a call from the Los Angeles Police Department congratulating me on making it into the academy the same day that I found out my wife, future wife, was pregnant. So that was pretty heavy. That was a huge day for me. That was so long ago. Jesus. But yeah, yeah, that was a, it. Was a twofer. He got two and one on the same day. Yeah, and uh, you know we were trying, so it wasn't like it was anything. It no surprises, but it was like man, it, when the good shit comes, it really does come, and that was a good day. Uh, and all of a sudden, it was like holy shit, what did I just get myself into? This is now I'm going to be in charge of a life besides my own, and I have this crazy job that I have to try to make it through. So that was a that was a crazy day for me. The actual birth of my son was, you know, its own thing, but that alone that day was historical for me. Yeah, and there's, you know, between you know, 9 almost 10 months between you when you find out that type of information and when uh when the birth happens uh and like you said, those for you, they're, they're two distinct events, memorable each in their own way, the birth and then the the initial notice. And that's when Sierra told me that, um, she was pregnant with, uh, with Lillian, uh, our daughter. I know Sierra was, you know, she was nervous. She, she was nervous about telling me and, uh, and I could, I could see that. But when she told me, I just, I can't, I gave her a big hug and I was so happy. And, and for me, uh, when I found out that I was going to be a dad and I was ready for it, and uh, I I took to heart the uh, that responsibility for this new person and uh, and figured well, I, I stopped smoking right away. I had been up to that point uh, a regular cigarette smoker. I you know I tried to cut back here and there, and I tried to fool myself into thinking I could quit this way or that. But when when Sierra told me that she was pregnant and we were going to have a, a child, I, well, that was reason enough for me to just stop smoking there because that was one way in which I could set a better example than the example that I was given when I grew up. And that's, that's what I wanted. And that, that, that's one example of the wider, bigger changes uh, that I, that I started going through. How, when you you say the wider, bigger changes, uh, what were some of those changes besides this baby coming? Like what and and quitting smoking, like it's a big thing, preparing for a child. And what what major thing besides smoking did you did you say? Hey, I gotta I gotta change this. Oh well, language use of language um i i made a decision very early on that uh, i wasn't going to have a, a foul mouth around my kids or you know and i wasn't going to use uh, well what i call um, you know gross or sexual humor or other things like that so so the kinds of my public style of speech, my, the vernacular I would use, my vocabulary, those are the sorts of things that I was, I was very, very much aware that what I'm, what I put out into the world is going to be uh, taken up and by my kids. And, and I want, I want to raise good apples. So I I needed to be a good tree. (laughs) And so that was language was one thing. And then that, and then slowly, um, you know, diet, food, just so it, it, all of these things are are all related to what what I wanted my kids. And well, at the one time it was just Lillian that I knew about, but it's come to be, you know, my kids, my son and daughter. And uh, it's all about what they take in. And I, I want to be able to put out good things in terms of meals and language and and modes of behavior and social conduct, all these things I want to put out 
uh, in the best way possible so that my kids take them in in the best way. And sometimes I succeed, and other times I I look back during my after-action review and figure out, well, I could have done something differently, and, and I'll do it differently for the next time. But those are that's that's what I've been going through, man. How about how about with you? Did you wind up making any uh, changes uh, after you got the news uh, with the double dose of news on that day? Oh yeah. So um, if you know me, you know I love cars, and at the time I had just bought the car Kevin and I were looking at for. Forever, the entire time we were in Iraq, we're like, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to buy a fucking Mustang GT. Because those things were so fucking cool. And uh, uh, I went and got one. I'm like, all right, you know, this is it. You know, I didn't see any kids coming. It's a four-seater, uh, two-door. And my wife, still, she already had kids. Uh, so this car was not going to work for this family. So I went and, and traded it in. I got rid of it, and I got a big, silly SUV because you know that's what family men do. So, me realizing that hey, everything's about to change, I had to throw out a part of me that was something that I dreamed about for a minute, and I'm like, that's nah, silly now. Like I have a family, I gotta protect these people. Whenever he gets here, he or she gets here, I got to protect this person, so I got to get rid of this fucking car and get something bigger. So that was like the first little thing for me. And uh, it seems silly now, but it was pretty cut and dry. It was easy. It was like, hey, I got this car. Even though, you know, it was my dream thing at the time, because when you're young, stupid shit like materialistic crap is important to you. It was it was like uh, all right. Well, it's got to go. Like maturity hit immediately. It's we got to do things different. And I always think of remember that and think all right, that was a one good decision I made in a lifetime of really weird ones. <laughs> one good and, change. And good to hear that you know the good change that you made. You said it it was easy to make. Yeah. Um, you know when you're you're younger you're maybe materialistic like you say and you're latching on to these things in this case the car but it, it was just easy to to give up because uh that it's kind of neat how um all the things that we we value change i know when my daughter was born and and we were in the hospital room and uh i got to hold her uh, after cutting the umbilical cord and i was just holding her and and looking down at this little little person and in that moment that's when i could feel everything changing i mean i if you've ever seen uh older signs in airports or older movies where they before the digital era of the the signs for departures and arrivals there'd be these like uh almost like a rolodex where there's a flipping of you know, letters and all this jazz to, you know, make new information populate where old information had been. Well, that's like when I was holding Lillian, that's what I felt. I, I just felt how previously I had cared a lot about a bunch of shit. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a bunch of that stuff just didn't matter. And in one moment, the most important thing in the world was the little person I was holding and I could just, I could feel that change. I've never, I've never lost that feeling. Sometimes I might've lost sight of it, you know, cause we all, we all fall, fall short. Sometimes I think of where we want to be, but uh, yeah, I change can be easy when you're properly motivated. And that's what holding that little baby did for me. It helped to properly motivate me to you know, just make changes. Yeah. The uh, cut in that cord, man. Holy weird. And, uh, yeah, man, looking down at your your kid for the first time is, uh, ah, man, that you, I personally, I, I never, I will never forget that. Just because it was just so much shit going on in the room. Um, 
it was my, my son was 10 pounds and he was, oh my he, was, God. He, was he was a big kid he wasn't like chunky or anything he's just in, enormous and uh you know my wife is what, five seven five eight five nine somewhere in there so you know she's she's not small either but trying to push out the fucking 10 pound monster was not uh cool to watch <laughs> so i stayed way back and and uh you know our our stood next to her shoulder so i wouldn't see all the situation going on down there because i didn't want to have that burned in my memory but for whatever reason i still peaked and oh man ruined but <laughs> anyway um yeah just uh Kevin again for whatever reason he he was also there. Uh, I don't know how he ended up being there, but he was uh visiting. So he was there at the the day my son was born. So that was kind of a weird thing. Not really weird, but cool, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat to just a happenstance. Yeah. So, you know, and like my wife, she went through it it was not an easy birth so the, the baby comes out and she's crying and she didn't want to look at him she's like just take him away and i'm like all right so i'm sitting there holding him and i'm just like god i hope the name i pick for you is right and i'm like it's the right name i named him after my stepdad so his name is anthony leon brown and uh i'm like that's it you know this is it i'm holding this thing and it's like alive and it's like something that I made or helped to, to make, you know, I put in the special sauce or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but man, she did a good job making this kid and, uh, he's, a, he's a good kid. But at the time, man, everything changed for me. Just, just in that little, <sighs> What? It was a long bird too. Just in that in that time, it was just uh, everything's different. And that was you know after military and and all that stuff. It was just uh, weird. But you'd, uh, weird you mentioned way. hoping that you picked the right name. Yes. And Sierra and I had talked about names for our daughter uh, for well since we since we had the first ultrasound where the ultrasound lab technician was pointing out. The, the baby's hamburger buns, as she called them, <laughs> to point out the little labia. Yeah. And so initially, my, my daughter, her first name was just, we called her little hamburger buns, or HB for short. <laughs> and she's going to love it when I tell her first boyfriend this sometime when she's a teenager. <laughs> but we, so we had a name all picked out. And then my little daughter came into the world, and my wife and I were, were looking at the baby like, and, and we both decided the names we picked out are wrong. The, this baby is not uh, an Olivia or whatever we picked out. And so then for the first, I think it was three days after my daughter's birth, she was just, she was just baby Walker because we hadn't yet picked out a name. <laughs> Little nameless child floating in the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so coming to that name, um, was there any, any headbutting when it came down to that, or was it just like, okay, uh, this is what we're going to go with, and then that's that? Was there any second thoughts? Uh, we well, we just we agreed that the name we picked on initially didn't fit, um, and then there wasn't any headbutting. My wife and I, we can butt heads, uh, believe you me. But when she and I are clearly in agreement, oh as we were in the case with the child, like we didn't want her to be just baby Walker forever, but we did both want to make sure that our children had names that were connected to their family and to the, the family history and our roots that way. So when we just started going through the names, uh, it was pretty easy then to, to settle, to, not to settle, but to, to agree on, on the right names, because again, both of us wanted names related to, our family. Mm -hmm. Right. My, my silly ass. One of the reasons why I went with my dad's name was, uh, laugh if you want, you can find the name Anthony or Leon on a cup at Disneyland. And you don't have to buy custom. 
you cannot find a cup with the name Tyree on it at Disneyland or Magic Mountain or any amusement park or anything like that. So I'm like, hey, we're going to make it simple. Initially, I wanted to call him Alexander. So Alex would be his nickname, but wife was against that. I forget why. So Anthony, that'll be, that'll be on a cup at Disneyland. So there we go. So. In your kitchen uh, cabinetry now, do you have some cups from Disneyland with Anthony on there? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break and we will come back and finish this up because I, I know we have a lot more to talk about. So quick break and we'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back to... Uh, the afterthoughts and we're going to close this one out uh after uh you know this well no, that sounds like shit let's do that one again i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> three two one all right everyone welcome back to the afterthoughts so uh let's move on to a different not a different topic but a different uh different example of life-changing events um what do you got well yeah, we we talked about the the bigger ones, the ones that for me stood out. Um, well, what have you got? Do do you have any that come to the fore? Yes. So, like I was saying um, before, something happened when I was in middle school or eighth grade. Uh, I got in trouble, and it was very stupid, like really dumb. It, uh, the movie, the scary movie. First came out the one with the white mask and shit, and uh, for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to cut up some letters from a magazine and send it to somebody, a classmate of mine, as a joke, as a prank. Um, the words were "I'm gonna get you," and then another one said "I'm gonna kill you" as a joke. In my eighth grade little dumb mind, that was a great. Hilarious idea. <laughs> However, the police. <laughs> they didn't share your sense of humor? No, they did not. And uh, man, I, I tried to get out of the out of it. I tried to say somebody random gave it to me when I realized how much trouble I was in. I tried to weasel. I, I made up a story about somebody, you know. I tried to make up a, a description for somebody just so far out that it would this person would never be found, and they just call it a you know call it a day you know get it, it's you know just a crazy circumstance. But no, this this cop was on his shit, <laughs> and he fairly easily fucking figured it was me, and uh, I ended up getting suspended for five days. I've never been suspended before. It was the last time I got a whooping, um, but that night I end up. Uh, like my my dad took away all my entertainment stuff, TV, Nintendo. Well, at the time I guess it was Sega, but all that shit got taken away, and I was just in a room bare like a prison. But I had a radio, and I'd always liked radio. I always liked just the the concept of talking and people listening, or you know making people dance or you know whatever. It was always a good like cool idea to me. So I always had a radio and. Uh, that night I listened to this guy, Phil Hendry, and I still listen to him. And actually, he's going to be on a show. We've already recorded it. I've already spoke to him, me and Kevin, on a, an episode of Before I Forget that comes out on Monday. So that little me being a little shit as an eighth grader uh, and getting suspended and finding that, not finding, but using that radio and finding Phil on there, one way or another affected this uh, particular thing that we're doing here in my opinion and that's in that something just yeah just it, it had one it reminds me of uh, the butterfly effect if, if you send you know, the idea being if you send a person back in time and you don't change anything but you know there's just like the changing of a butterfly's wings and that has enough ramifications to change the whole future outlook of, of man or whatever. But yeah, just, uh, yeah. Had you not, had you not had your young person sense of humor and had you not been emulating some 
you know, violent entertainment thing that you saw. And had you not been locked down in your bedroom with all of your things taken away, save for the radio, well, yeah. Would you have come across, uh, you know, Phil's show? Because uh, that's his name, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy. All the little things that fall in, into the right places to yeah. make things happen. Right. I always, I totally feel that you are wherever you are for whatever reason and you should be there. Or if you realize you shouldn't be there, you should try to figure out a way to get out so you can be someplace else. If that sounds crazy, I know it, it sounds crazy, but because it is, um, you are where you should be when something happens to you. That means to me, like, it happened to you for a reason, and it's supposed to affect you. So, me finding his show and listening all those years later, and then saying, hey, he has a podcast. I can do a podcast, too. It's nowhere near as cool as his, but whatever. And I actually reached out to him, and he answered. And I'm like, holy shit. This is, a, this is huge for me, because at the time, I'm like, man, I was listening to you since I was 12, 13. And I'm like, hey, will you be on our show? Because I'm like, man, you, you, he's done Futurama, King of the Hill, uh, F is for Family, American Team, uh, Police, that all those kind of things, like huge things that, you know, he shouldn't know who the fuck Tyree Brown is or shouldn't <laughs> give a shit about his fucking podcast. But he did. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's really cool. So I can't wait to, for folks to hear that show, show uh, Monday. Yeah, I'm excited to hear that. That's that's great. You've got that arc that spans more than 30 years from when you were introduced uh, to his work and and to the time and when you got to talk to him. That's cool. I'm gonna I'm excited to listen in uh, on Monday when that's released. Yeah, super pumped. So I won't talk about that out of the show ever again on here. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a staple of every one of these shows. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> you saying that peaks in somehow. It's my advertisement. Um, do you, do you have another one uh, before we get into the one I know that we both have? Um, you know, nothing else comes to mind. Why don't we go where you want to lead this train? Okay. So we're both in the military and we both, uh, get deployed and all this kind of stuff. And we're both in Iraq and we're both in Samara and, uh, we're both uh, witnesses to this event that, for me personally, changed everything about my military career in one really horrific swoop. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the death of Kreider. And uh, mm -hmm. again, the the anniversary for that was just a couple weeks ago. Um, that yeah, I, I take note every year when it comes around yeah um just the how do you remember that day playing out well i remembered it was a lot of the same army stuff that we'd been accustomed to it was always in the army hurry up and wait hurry up and wait so for whatever reason we were being hurried out of the the gate at uh, Brassfield Mora, our operating base there outside Samara, I remember. So we were being kind of hurried up, hurried out the gates. So, and then everyone had to stop and do their test firing in that pit. And, uh, and I can, yeah, I was in my Bradley in the standing up out of the turret, out of the gunner's hatch. And I was farting around with something on the top of the Bradley. I think I was trying to, use my Leatherman tool to tighten down some screw holding some piece of junk targeting reticle in place or something. But, but I remember, yeah, I remember looking up and seeing Kreider turn around and, and I remember him and that was, and then he was shot right after that. Um, so I remember him, I remember looking over at just the right moment from my position to see him over at the firing line, turning around. It, it looked plain as day that he knew he was in the wrong spot. And then that coaxial machine gun in the other 
that third platoon Bradley went off. And then that I, I watched as, as Kreider was shot in the you know, face and torso. You know, I, I watched his K-pot go flying off. I watched his helmet go flying off of his head up into the air. And I remember when you and I talked on, on before I forget, I remember you mentioning what you experienced and, and you mentioned his helmet on the ground, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I was standing right next to him. I was no more than five feet away from him when this happened. So, um, like you said, uh, everyone was rushing around. We were trying to get out of there, go out on patrol quick. Everyone was moving all fast. And I actually spoke to him maybe 10 minutes before this all happened. We were leaving the, the, uh, connexes or sea huts or whatever, no connexes and heading over to the vehicle. And he was dragging his, his, uh, saw ammo on the ground. Now I'm like, at the time I was trying to be like the cool promotable, <laughs> specialist because I wanted to be you know sergeant at some point so I'm like hey man trying to do an on spot correction pick up your ammo before you know you get somebody killed stupid and uh we load up to the Bradleys and we roll out to that fucking firing pit which was fucking we got to explain that a little bit too the fire pit my remembrance of it was it was just an enormous hole in the ground it wasn't like a like a hole somebody dug with a shovel. It was like a canyon damn near, right? Or am I tripping? No, in my mind, that's how I remember it too. And I have a, an image saved on my computer that corresponds with what you're saying. It, it wasn't like someone had taken a backhoe and made a giant hole in the ground. It was also not like a, every range, uh, rifle range that we've ever been to with you know established safety protocols and left and right limit. It, what, yeah, what, this test firing pit right outside the, the entrance to the motor pool was just, yeah, it looked like a little Canyon just in the ground and it was a hole in the ground that people shot into. Yeah. So we're, we're emptying out of uh, the vehicles, I think, because this is where things get a little spotty for me. <clears throat> we're moving so fast that every time that I go to try to shoot, I got shoved down to the left just a little bit further. Somebody would get in front of me, and I'm like, oh, no, this isn't safe. I'm going to move down further to the left, further to the left. This happened, I promise, like five or six times to the point that we're so far away from everybody. Like, we're dangerously close to these fucking Bradleys shooting off. And, like, I could feel it. Like, the it, it was it was the hairs on my neck were standing up. It was extra hot, and I was extra st- extra stiff from from just this feeling of something bad is about to happen and I go to shoot I had a misfire which was bad omen reloaded it shot and I turn around and I saw a helmet flying in the air I'm like what the fuck and the, there's this uh, I don't know if it was a medic or what it was a black soldier was running up to me are running in my direction, waving his arms, screaming, cease fire, cease fire. I'm like, what the fuck? Now that at the time, this helmet is still spinning around on the ground. And uh, it didn't occur to me to look at where it came from because, you know, helmets come from heads. And I looked over and Kreider was on the ground and there was nothing that could be done. He was gone. Like I could look intel immediately. There was no... shit it was nothing it was just a bag of bones at that point they were they tried to do things i i hit the i know why they ran to me initially because i i grabbed my stomach after i looked at them and i like dry heaved because i had never seen shit like that especially with someone i know that i just spoke to that i just saw literally two two three seconds ago and now he's fucking dead. Like, fucking dead. There's no, uh, oh, he might be okay. 
or oh no, we can fucking fix him. No, he's gone. Like in an instant. And and for a minute, for years even, I felt responsible. Like, man, you were the specialist promotable trying to be. Why didn't you stop him from going around you? So that was something that'll bother me for a minute. It still does kinda a little bit. Like uh fuck. Looking at his face and watching the medics run up to him it was like uh helpless like you whatever you're about to try to do isn't going to work what I should have did would have worked and we wouldn't be in the situation but who was I at that point like I was not in charge I was just doing what I was told to do the guy who shot that uh coax you know Maybe somebody should have been paying attention, but he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Now this guy's fucking gone. This kid, the youngest person in the entire fucking battalion, is gone like that. The first casualty we, we everyone fucking saw. It wasn't, uh, I don't think there's not too many people who didn't see it happen. And uh, No, it, 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 the ones who, we had that one platoon that had been detached and sent up north to act as the brigade commander's like personal security detail. Yeah. So, and that must have been the first platoon. But otherwise, we had the second and third platoons out there, and and the headquarters guys. So yeah, the whole company was out there. Yeah. And like you're saying, that was, you know, that was the first person that we'd all seen. Uh, shot and and killed that way. Uh, up to this point, I had been in the army for two years. I know you had it, you you're about three years in at that point. And through all the army training that we've been in, you think about running cadences or marching cadences or all the all the stuff you wind up screaming when you're in basic training and you're going through your infantry school garbage. And you know it's it's always like you know what makes the grass grow green? Blood, blood, blood. You know, so there's all these things that we we say that allude to the to the killing that we're training for and to, to all this death but you know i didn't see it you know it took me two years and then i saw it here with Kreider being shot the way he was and and that i too you felt helpless you know what you can look at it after the fact and you can kind of think about what happened and you can put it all together and you realize well i could have done x y or z but you had mentioned too, you know, you know, who the F were you at the time? You, you were want, you wanting to be a specialist promotable and get your sergeant stripes and, and you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. You were in your lane focused on, on your mission at the time, which was to, you know, test fire your own weapon. You think about that, the gunner in that Bradley who pulled the trigger and, and fired that coaxial machine gun and, and shot Kreider while he was doing his job, but somewhere along the line, somewhere, Someone wasn't. And what I remember taking place immediately after this incident was uh, the, the mission being scrubbed for the day and uh, the company commander uh, instructing everyone who was a witness to the event to go fill out a sworn statement. Do you remember filling out any type of sworn statement um, about what you saw that day, Tyree? Yes. Uh, I remember going with I I can't say exactly who because I was just fucking Caldwell was there definitely um, but I remember going into that room and I, I couldn't look at anybody's face uh, it was still just shock of what just happened uh, there was some people crying because I could hear it but I couldn't see who it was it was just very eerie it was just like a I don't ever remember even going back to that room for anything ever either. Um, the particular room was where we would typically typically have our uh, uh, fallen soldier formations. You know, it was just before, or just behind that wall that they put the flags and the helmet and the rifle on. Sure, and I know that. I know the spot you're talking yeah, about. I never. One time I went in that day and that was it. Never again. I, just because it was just so eerie. It was dark. 
how I remember it anyway. I know it probably wasn't really like this, but this is how my brain is filling in the holes. It was dark, and there were people sitting on tables, or not on end tables, but on tables. Um, some folks were talking to each other. There was just a lot of crying and, and eyes down and people checking on each other. Hey, are you okay? Uh, and I, re- I don't remember exactly what I filled out, but I know it couldn't have made any sense because thinking about it now, like, man, that was so many different things running through my head. Like, so many different things. I wish I could look at it now and try to make sense of it because I, I know it didn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, regardless of you know whether or not it made sense to you then or now, I I I want to commend publicly Captain Rockefeller for making sure that everyone who was witness to that filled out a sworn statement. Uh, I think I've never talked to the man about you know why this was done, but I think it had a twofold effect. One one clearly being identifying the. Uh, the, the somebody's shortcoming and somebody's oversight, the the ones that the oversight that led to the death of the soldier somewhere, somebody wasn't watching what they were supposed to be watching or watching the person they were supposed to be watching. So there were, there were failures uh, in, in, in a training and leadership sense that needed to be identified. And, and that needed to be identified by, by crafting an image on paper of what happened. Now, I think the other the other part, which was never so obvious to me uh, initially, but which I've come to really appreciate is, uh, is like you're saying, everyone was sad. And I remember I was, a, I stepped out of whatever building I was in. I remember just crying and, and having Sergeant Duell come to console me and get me, um, get me, uh, get my, help get my mind right. <laughs> but, but I, I think it was important for me and for everyone else, all of us who, who didn't know what we'd just seen and what we'd just gone through, I, it was important for us to write these things down. I, I, I know it helped me, and I'm sure that it helped other people so that they could, they could begin to order that which seemed to be chaotic and, and disorderly. Yeah, I would love to talk to uh, Captain Rockefeller. Uh, and pick his brain about a whole lot of stuff that happened that year. Nothing was really bad, but I know uh, I'd like to talk to him about this because uh, regardless of how ugly it is, it's still something that happened and it's something that we had to take an example from and learn from. And uh, from a leadership position, I wanted to know from him or anyone else in that leadership position, how would you point this ship after something like that just happened you know um, fuck man that was quite a while ago now but I, it's just it's like it happened yesterday yeah it is yeah 19 years ago and and like you said you know how do you how do you point this ship afterward you know what kind of leadership decisions do you make because it's it's easy to fire people it's easy to just identify some person in a position and, and to say that that particular person is the person in charge and whatever uh, bad comes under their leadership umbrella. Well, they're they're to blame and it's easy just to fire them. But if you think back, you know, the Bradley commander who was in the vehicle, uh, the vehicle that, that shot Kreider, that that vehicle commander, he wasn't fired. He he stayed in that position as, as far as I can remember. Right. And and I don't think that that was the wrong decision. You know, I, I it would have been easy to say, well, as a result of his failure, you know, there was a friendly fire incident, you know, you know friendly casualty and. And so you, you can fire this guy, but it, he no doubt learned a lot from what happened. Just like you mentioned, um, you know, you and others went on to learn. And I know that I certainly, I certainly 
took the death of of Kreider uh, and use it as a learning opportunity. I I remember that not more than a month after Kreider died, come April 11th, uh, 2004, when we're having our Easter Sunday fight in Samara, I can remember during the firefight having the Kreider incident in the forefront of my mind um, because there was a time, a point at which when I we had friendly forces crossing in front of my vehicle, I had to you know, elevate my gun and, and whatever. And I was very cognizant of the fact that as a Bradley gunner, your, your worldview is very limited and you need to rely on the other members of your crew to help uh, identify what's outside that vehicle. And, and all of that really, that, that came from the Kreider incident. So it's sad. It's super, super sad that that young guy, he died the way he did. It's, but I'll wrap it up by just trying to say that I, if we all learned from it and made something better come of it, then, then it wasn't just, you know, a loss in vain. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, man. Um, I was a gunner for a minute. Um, and I remember everyone like freaking out anytime they're anywhere near the Bradley and I was gunning because they assumed that I was going to be dumb and just fire off around and hit somebody like, no, nah, man, I was so paranoid shooting that thing or moving it at any point. Like I had to ask Sergeant Baggett, like, hey, is it okay to look in this direction? Because I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't see out, you know, you're looking through a straw. Um, Yeah fucking the lessons were learned it was a hard lesson to learn um, but it, it happened it, and the one thing that gets me was uh, like you said we, we train and we march and we do all this stuff but nothing fucking prepares you for that nothing there's no, no cadence that's gonna fucking get you ready for seeing this guy get blown away I wish I could get in contact with people from his platoon so they can, we can speak to them about it. But I think it, it might have affected them a lot worse than us, clearly, because I haven't been able to find anyone who will even speak about it. And I understand, like, you know, you can't ask people to talk about things they don't want to talk about because, again, that's, that shit's fucking heavy. But I, I would wonder how that incident affected that platoon because you know it affected us so much and we were so you know I'm going to say probably just as close or as tight as they were with their people um, right like what, how did that affect them yeah I like you I would love to hear from any of those guys about that for all the reasons that you just outlined. And so much more like, uh, as, as a platoon or a team fire team, you know, you, you fight for your beer, your left and your right. And, uh, if something happens to your friend, you want to go get them. But what if the person who, uh, caused harm or death to your friend is also your friend. Like, how does that affect that relationship? Um, I've always wondered. I've always wanted to ask those guys, but I, I'm like, man, that's some shit should just stay covered up. Not covered up, but, you know, some people don't want to open up that, that box. Right. And you don't want to, you don't, you know, you don't want to be mean or hurtful or, or bring up anything that doesn't, you know, that someone else doesn't want to be brought up. You just, I suppose what you can do is, is always make it known that you're receptive to listen in, in the event that anyone wants to talk. Yeah. You try not to pry. You try not to be a, a problem for anyone. And what you try to do is, is know that there's always somebody available to listen uh, or, or to be a, a sounding board or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, at the time you can kind of say, that you as a gunner 
were in a group of special people, the the gunners of the company. What what was the the feeling between you guys? Did you guys ever ever speak about it? Like, hey, you know, what the fuck, or you know, how you doing, or what was the what was the the speak between gunners? Because I I don't I didn't I didn't think about that until just now. You at some point you, know, you I, had to have spoken to somebody about it. I I don't recall. Uh, ever speaking with any of the other gunners or any of the other Bradley crews about what happened. Uh, and what I do remember, I remember that Messer witnessed this, the death of Kreider also. And I remember that he and I both recognized how unfortunate and terrible it was. And Messer and I were trapped inside that 33 ton aluminum monster right. with, uh, with our Bradley commander, a person whose moral compass, I would say didn't point in the same direction that mine and Messer's did. <laughs> and so we didn't, I didn't have any talks with any of the other Bradley crews and we didn't really talk much internally the one thing I can remember is one really awful bad joke that my, that the, that the Bradley commander in my vehicle tried to make. It's a terrible joke. It wasn't I funny. I think and I it, it was poking fun at, at, at Kreider's death. And and we were infantrymen and we were combat infantrymen and we, we saw things and we were, you know, we were out killing people and, and rubbleizing things and destroying things. But even in the midst of all of that, there were still boundaries that we all understood if we're good enough people to identify the boundaries. <laughs> and some people, let's call them sociopaths they either don't recognize the boundaries or they'll recognize them and intentionally cross them just to make others miserable. Um, so the only, the only talk I can remember having with any Bradley crew about what happened with Kreider was, was this a bad joke that was shared within the vehicle and Messer and I just did not want anything to do with that. Man, I remember that joke. I don't know. It, was it just you guys in there? Or was it something that was said over comms in the vehicle that we can all hear? Because I remember hearing that or hearing about that. And uh, fuck, man. That, that, I know we all know who you're talking about who said it. And personally, we avoid talking about that person because one of our rules is no, no, no ill communication about anybody but that dude was a piece of shit and I feel bad that you guys had to deal with that for that that entire time that you are working together but that joke was just the the icing on the cake of shithead things to say and uh, I think a lot of people whatever respect they may have had for him at his skill even at his skill with his job was just right out the window after that oh absolutely yeah totally gone that dude <laughs> that dude, like you said, uh, I'm not here to speak ill of people, but that vehicle was mine and Messer's vehicle. Yeah. And that Bradley commander was there to be on the radio and to hold his map board and sort of direct where the vehicle needs to go. And if you remember, there was a, an IED that went off one time and blinded the our Bradley commander for he had a welder's burn, couldn't see for a couple days. Mm -hmm. Uh and so we still went out leading the way on point uh, lead vehicle on these patrols for a couple of days, you know, with a more or less blind Bradley commander. Cause he was just there again to monitor the radios. Messer knew the routes and other things. So yeah, that guy was, I think that whole year spent uh, in that vehicle with that dude, that was one long drawn out seminal moment if you will I bet you we can have a. we should probably have a show dedicated just to your work on the Bradley man I know like uh, it'll probably be another heavy episode but you and and fucking Messer 
went through a very different deployment from the rest of us um, based on that individual alone. Like, yeah, we always had someone who we weren't happy to be around, but man, that person, because like you said, his moral compass was so fucking busted. You guys, I'm sure there's like some kind of like judgment calls between you and you and Messer that you guys had to have between each other about this fucking guy that you're working with. I, my only regret from that Iraq deployment was not taking the, uh, the boom microphone from the Bradley commander's, uh, combat vehicle crew member helmet and sticking his microphone in my butthole <laughs> so that the smell of my asshole would be just an inch from his mouth and nose. Mm. Messer and I, we, oh, I, neither one of us wanted anything in our butts, but boy, we, <laughs> we, we talked at length about how much fun it would be to, to have Ferris up there wondering what the smell of shit was coming from. And yeah, Messer and I, we laughed and laughed about that. Man, that's, that's hilarious. Okay. So, uh, this was our, one of our longer episodes, um, heavy, but I think it needed to happen. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for for opening up about this kind of stuff, man. I know it's not easy, um, but I, thank you for for being brave about it, man. Because, like I said, it's not it's not easy to talk about this stuff and in a public setting to talk about this stuff, so other people can hear us fucking be all emotional and blubbery about this kind of shit. But, well, I thank you. I I thank you too, Tyree. It's it's not easy, and I think other people. I hope people hear this, and uh, I hope they hear that we're human beings. Uh, one thing I like I like to share with I've shared with Sierra because I think it's funny. I share with some of my other uh, friends, but I like to say I'm not a monster. I just played one on TV. <laughs> yeah. You we were, did all these things, but we're we're still human beings, you know, with a heart and soul and feelings. Yeah. And on that note, we'll close this one out, man. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Afterthoughts with Tyree and Chris. Please like, listen, share, and subscribe. There's nothing to watch on this one because we don't record them. There's never any advertisements on this show because we don't want your money for this. It's just us talking, blowing off steam reminiscing about shit telling funny stories i love you brother thank you for coming on with me uh every time we get to do this it's always uh, a good time so thank you so much uh thank you everyone for listening and uh before we go chris you got anything i love you too brother and everyone out there listening in thanks a lot uh your time is appreciated have a great day